It's you. I wondered when you'd finally drop in. Welcome to the Jaunty Lion Bookshop. In my shop, we believe that children and their adults have a spark of magic that is waiting to grow. It must be fed, or it will dim until we never knew we had it. Feed that spark on good stories and intentional culture shaping. Soon enough, it will grow into a flame, igniting your whole family with whimsy and wonder and imagination. I'm Amy Marquis, mother to five eccentric children, chronic home educator, and curator of the Jaunty Lion Bookshop. Stay a bit. I'm so glad you've arrived. Today's show is brought to you by Gilbert Keith, cheesemonger extraordinaire, purveyor of fine odiferous cheeses. Be one of many who have set foot in GK Cheesemonger's shop and declare, my, my, what is that smell? At Gilbert Keith's, they believe in one motto, the Pong will make you strong. I'd like to start today's show with a quote by GK Chesterton. This is a quote relevant to our times, a quote which I think every one of us can apply to our lives today. The poets are mysteriously silent on the subject of cheese. Now then, let's dive in, shall we? During our staff meeting yesterday, the freckled fox mentioned how she had gathered arms full, well, baskets full, of autumn leaves. She was in raptures, as she does. She described to us in flowery detail her whole experience you know the way she is. White ways of delight, lakes of shining waters. Anyway, she did a fantastic job gathering the most wonderful leaves for this year's thanking tree. Every year, the staff at the Jaunty Lion puts a tremendous great tree out. Uh, we find it fallen in a little wood at the edge of the town, all twisting bare branches. And each day during our staff meeting, we write or dictate, as some among us have paws or wings, making writing rather awkward. One thing that we are thankful for on a leaf, and then we pin it to the thanking tree. Every year prior to this one, we have used paper leaves cut from pages from a stack of water-damaged books from the basement. We have them there still because, even though they do stink up the place, none of us have the heart to throw them away. Also, because when we go down there and we remember the reason for the terrible basement flood, and we have such fond memories from that event, that we tolerate the smell and the heaps of damaged books. Did I tell you about that time? I think I might have done. It was a year when the rain was so heavy for days and days that the whole town was flooded. We managed to keep the bookshop dry, we thought, till we heard rushing water under our feet. I raced to see the source and found to my horror that gallons of water were flooding in through the now broken basement window. Before I could think what to do about this terrible flooding, I saw movement under the water, which was now deep as a tall dwarf. I noticed a dark mass moving from one end of the basement to another. At first, I thought it was a rat. And then I saw another and another, all swimming one after the other, creating Vs in their wake. I am no coward, but rats just access a corner of fear in my brain that I just can't seem to get over. I called to the rational dragon to have a look. As I live and flourish, it seems we have some very old guests in our shop today. What you see before you, my dear, is a Rusalka and her young. To which I said, 
a ruwat? Rusalka, a river spirit. In spite of what others say, Rusalka are good luck. It wasn't until the 1800s that these rare creatures were blamed for all manner of evils. Everyone needs a scapegoat, it seems. Come, let's leave them. They're quite shy. Anyway, they stayed in our basement playing and reading for some weeks before we could locate a river to safely return them to. We were very sorry to see them go. I'll miss the soft laughter and the long black hair darkening the waters. But I've probably already told you this story. Anyway, I've always enjoyed repurposing books that were damaged in this time of the Rusalki. I can still smell their odor on the page. Something like pressed flowers and rich soil. But everyone did so want to use actual leaves this year, so I finally relented. But I couldn't imagine how we could keep the leaves from becoming a crisp, crinkled mess. They were going to be impossible to write on. The raven had the idea to dip the leaves in wax to preserve them. We were all so astonished by the very practical suggestion that none of us moved as we stared at the raven in awe. Only Alexander Beetle broke the silence with tiny clicking beetle sounds. He fidgets when he's nervous. You see, the raven is always so dreamy and gloomy that he's scarcely ever come up with a practical suggestion in his whole life. We usually rely on him for impractical suggestions, and typically, those are only for Halloween. We sort of let him brood for the rest of the year. So when I asked him how he came up with this very clever plan, he simply replied, I've always held a fascination with preserving the dead. Okay. I didn't press him further. His telltale morbidity can put a damper on staff meetings. And then there was the issue of obtaining the tree. Not really an issue because the rational dragon always takes on this task. He flies over the wood at the edge of town in search of an already fallen tree to bring back. Then he sets it up in the center of the shop. Last year, he found the most wonderful birch, all white and high reaching with its peeling paper bark. Once we pinned all of our paper leaves to her branches, that birch was a glory. But this year, the rational dragon brought us a massive limb from a black oak. He planted it securely in its place at the center of the shop, and we all stood back to admire this thing of beauty. It was only one limb. We couldn't possibly have fit the whole tree. But planted there, it seemed like a mass of an entire tree. The branches reached clear up to the ceiling. If last year's tree reminded us of a delicate dryad, this year's is certainly a fantastic old grandfather of a tree. Today I wrote that I am thankful for Lady Grey Tea with Lavender. Everyone else finished writing their first daily installment of thankful leaves, and once the raven flew up to pin them on, and once the wax had hardened, of course, we all stood back and our surveyed our handiwork. Now I know that they were right. Using real leaves created a much prettier effect than paper. I think we'll do this every year. I really do love November. This month is usually strangled out by Christmas shopping, and everyone misses the loveliness of it. It's the season of wren-brown leaves and chimney smoke. We decided during our staff meeting that the inspiration for this year's Thanksgiving feast would be taken from the book Little Men by Louisa May Alcott. There's a wonderful Thanksgiving scene at the end of the book that's all warmth and coziness. I'll read a bit of it to you so you'll see what I mean. The boys came trooping with appetites that would make the big turkey tremble, if it had not been past all fear. 
They all retired to dress, and for half an hour there was a washing, brushing, and prinking that would have done any tidy woman's heart good to see. When the bell rang, a troop of fresh-faced lads with shiny hair, clean collars, and Sunday jackets on filled the dining room, where Mrs. Joe in her one black silk, with a knot at her, of her favorite white chrysanthemums in her bosom, sat at the head of the table, looking splendid, as the boys said, whenever she got herself up. Daisy and Nan were as gay as a posy in their new winter dresses, with bright sashes and hair ribbons. Teddy was gorgeous in his crimson merino blouse and his best buttoned boots, which absorbed and contracted him as much as Mr. Toot's wristbands did on one occasion. As Mr. Bear and Mrs. Bear glanced at each other down the long table with those rows of happy faces on either side, they had a little thanksgiving all to themselves, and without a word for one heart said to the other, Our work has prospered. Let us be grateful and go on. The clatter of knives and forks prevented much conversation for a few minutes, and Marianne, with an amazing pink bow in her hair, flew around, briskly handing out plates and ladling gravy. Nearly everyone had contributed to the feast, so the dinner was a peculiarly interesting one to the eaters of it, who beguiled the pauses by remarks of their own productions. "'If these are not good potatoes, I never saw any,' observed Jack, as he received his fourth big mealy one. "'Some of my herbs are in the stuffing, and that's why it's so nice,' says Nan, taking a mouthful with intense satisfaction. "'My ducks are prime anyway,' Asia said she never cooked such fat ones, said Tommy. I helped make all the pies, called out Robbie, with a laugh which he stopped by retiring to his mug. I picked some of the apples that made the cider, said Demi. I raked the cranberries for the sauce, cried Nat. I got the nuts, added Dan, and so went around all the table. Who made up Thanksgiving, asked Rob, for being lately promoted to jacket and trousers. He felt a new and manly interest in the institution of his country. See who can answer that question, Mr. Bear said, nodding at one or two of the best history boys. I know, Demi said. The pilgrims made it. What for? asked Rob, without waiting to learn who the pilgrims were. I forget, Demi subsided. I believe it was because they were not starved once, and so when they had a good harvest, they said... We will thank God for it, and they did, and they called it Thanksgiving, said Dan, who liked the story of the brave men who suffered so nobly for their faith. Good. I didn't think you would remember anything but natural history, said Mr. Bear, gently tapping on the table as applause for his pupil. Dan looked pleased, and Mrs. Joe said to her son, Now, do you understand about it, Robbie? No, I don't. I thought pilgrims were a sort of big bird that lives on rocks. I saw a picture of them in Demi's book. He means penguins. Oh, he's a little goosey, said Demi, as he laid back in his chair and laughed out loud. Don't laugh at him, but tell him all about it if you can, said Mrs. Bear, consoling Rob with more cranberry sauce, for the general smile that went round the table at his mistake. Well, I will. And after a pause to collect his ideas, Demi delivered the following sketch of the Pilgrim Fathers, which would have made even the most grave gentlemen smile, if they had heard it. You see, Rob, some of the people in England didn't like the king, or something. Uh, so they got into ships and they sailed away to this country, 
and it was full of Indians and bears and wild creatures, and they lived in forts, and they had a dreadful time. The bears? asked Robbie with interest. No, the pilgrims. And some of my great-grandpas came in the ship called the Mayflower, and they made Thanksgiving, and we have it always, and I like it. More turkey, please. I think Demi will be a historian. There's such clearness in his account of the events, said Uncle Fritz, as his eyes laughed at Aunt Jo, as he helped the descendant of the pilgrims to his third bit of turkey. I thought you must eat as much as ever you could on Thanksgiving, but Franz said you mustn't even now, and Stuffy looked as if he had just received bad news. Franz is mine. Franz is right. So mind your knife and fork and be moderate or else you won't be able to help in the surprise by and by, said Mrs. Joe. I'll be careful, but everybody eats lots and lots, and I like it better than being moderate, said Stuffy, who leaned to the popular belief that Thanksgiving must be kept by becoming nearly apoplectic and escaping with merely a fit of indigestion or a headache. Now, my pilgrims, amuse yourself quietly till tea time. You will have enough excitement this evening said Mrs. Joe, and as they rose from the table after a protracted sitting, finished by a drinking of everyone's health, insider. I just read to you from a book called Little Men, written by Louisa May Alcott, one of my favorite, favorite writers. You probably know of her book, Little Women. And if you do, you probably know Joe March. Joe March was called a tomboy, and her heart was full of wild and angsty cravings of violence and the desire to do something brave and fearless in a world that wanted to cramp her and make her become something that they thought that she should be. Joe wouldn't have it. Louisa May Alcott patterned Joe March from Little Women and from Little Men after her own character. She is one of my favorite heroines from literature. Her fierce brand of womanhood has always helped me to feel that I wasn't alone in the world. In my book, A Marmy Like Joe, I write about the side of Joe March no one really talks about. Joe, as a mother, or as the March girls endearingly call their own mother, a marmy. Learning about how Joe, whose tomboyish ways made life difficult to be a woman, fettered by prejudices of her time, found how to embrace her own wild eccentricities as a mother. I hope you too can embrace that kind of marmy that you were designed by God to be. If you've had enough formulaic parenting books and the endless how-tos of mothering, you're in good company. I spent years trying to conform to books like this and wound up suffocating under the unrealistic expectations they placed on me. I rediscovered Joe March when I read Little Men to my boys years ago. I realized that everything I need to know about being a mom, full of grace and mistakes and whimsy, could be found in the pages of Little Men and Little Women. So I wrote a book about it. You can buy my book on Amazon. The link is in the show notes. Order today, and please be sure to tell a friend. Now it's time to take a look and see what I've got on my bookshelves. Hmm, it looks like the jaunty lion has put our Christmas display out already. I asked him to wait until after Thanksgiving, but we do have a difference of opinion. He thinks better early than late. 
I don't like to set out our Christmas display, at least until after the Thanksgiving feast has been feasted upon. But, alas, it seems that last night he took down my display of Thanksgiving and Autumn books. We have a bit of a power struggle, Jaunty and I. I own this bookshop, but since I named it after him, he feels he is entitled. He thinks he can up and switch my book displays. I can see him right now. I am staring at him. He is sitting in his favorite reading chair by the fire, smoking his pipe and looking for all the world like an innocent, which of course he is not. Well, the deed is done, and he has won the battle, so let's have a look and see what he has selected. Okay, to his credit, the display is absolutely stunning, as usual. He set it up with our, in our lovely curved glass window at the front of the shop. I see he managed to set up the enormous wooden Christmas pyramid as well. We put this one out every year. A charming customer gifted this to us on St. Lucia's Day years ago. She brought it from her father's shop in Germany decades before, and it was so massive that she had no place to display it in her own home at Christmas time. It's called a Christmas pyramid, I suppose, because it's tapered upward. But to me, if you can imagine, it looks more like a lovely great house with angels and candles and spinning windmills. And when you light the candles, the heat, I suppose, creates some kind of thermal something. I don't know. I think actually, bottom line, it's magic. It makes the windmills spin and then the angels spin like a little carousel. The effect of it all aglow in the evening is really very charming. I'm standing out in the cold snow and looking at this while I record this, so I can show you all the titles that he has put on our display. Surrounding the pyramid are dozens of Christmas titles for children and for adults. There are too many to list here, so I'll just pick some of my favorites. I'll pick the books that I'll be reading to my children this year. I like to have 12 picture books for my children to open, one on each of the 12 nights before Christmas. Let's see. First one I'll pick. Oh, this one. The Jolly Postman by Janet and Alan Alberg. This book was read to me in kindergarten by my Jewish teacher, who took a break from our Hanukkah crafts and festivities to read a Christmas title. I really did like making Stars of David out of popsicle sticks, and I liked playing dreidels, and I liked eating latkes. But a good old Christmas story was a really nice break. I loved this book so much. I think I've been thinking about it in the back of my mind ever since. Like a dream I had once, where it exists in some kind of plane between awake and asleep. I've, for some reason, not read this one to my kids yet. So, this one will be... Our first book, The Jolly Postman, is all about a postman delivering Christmas letters. But the wonderful bit is that within the book, there are real letters that you can take out of real envelopes that are attached to the pages. As you read, you follow the postman's journey. When I was a kid and I saw my curly-haired teacher pull an actual letter out of an actual envelope attached within these actual pages... I was so tickled by the novelty of it that I've never quite forgotten the feeling of wonder I felt that day. For that reason, this will definitely be the first book gift I have with my children this year. Okay, let's move on to number two. 
I don't know if I'll list all 12, but well, definitely this is the one. Polar Express. We've watched the movie. We love it. We see it every year. I feel like we need to have the book on our shelves. The book is even more enchanting, if that's possible. The Polar Express was written by Chris von Allsberg, and this book is a delight for the eyes. Somehow, there's something very Christmassy about trains. I don't know if it's the little train going around the Christmas tree, maybe a product of really good marketing over the years. But when I think of a great big train with a wreath on the front, it feels just right and Christmassy. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the Polar Express, the night is Christmas Eve and all is quiet until the stillness is shattered by none other than a powerful black locomotive making a stop in the middle of a mid-century American neighborhood in front of the house of a little boy who needs a ride to the North Pole. So um, technically, we aren't supposed to take rides from strangers, even if they offer us candy. But does it still count if it's a train and if there's free hot chocolate? I feel like that's probably okay. All right, moving along. Okay, so this is a lovely title, Christmas in the Big Woods. My kids and I are reading the Little House series again. And we, let's see, I think we're in the third one now. But the Little House in the Big Woods will always be our favorite. It's the coziest. It's the one with the least foibles and terrors. And it's the one where we think, if only they had just stayed in the big woods, everything would be fine. But then again, they wouldn't have had such grand adventures. But the Christmas in the big woods is just so charming. So unless you have been living in a hole somewhere, you probably are familiar with the wonderful stories of Laura Ingalls and her pioneer family in the Little House on the Prairie series. If not, welcome. Welcome out of your hole from whence you came. Christmas in the Big Woods takes a snapshot of the wonderful, cozy Christmas experienced by Laura and her family in the first book of the Little House series. This picture book is all about creating beauty and celebration out of scarcity and barely enoughness. The joy of giving, receiving, and simple celebration is such a kindness in the middle of the frenzy of the holidays. This will definitely be one of my picks. Number four, I'm going to pick Santa Calls by William Joyce. William Joyce is a big favorite in our house. The ambiance of the Santa Calls book is just nostalgic. It's larger than life fun. William Joyce creates beautiful worlds in his books. And this Christmas one is no exception. From dark elves to North Pole escapades, a trio of kids face grand adventures and they find the best gift of all, which is friendship. I love this book so much. Okay, uh, number five, I'm going to pick Big Snow by Jonathan Bean. Jonathan Bean is also a family favorite. He has this uncanny knack for capturing in his words and in his art the very ordinary kind of loveliness of hearth and home. Big Snow is about a boy watching the sky for a big snow that's been forecasted while his mother is trying to get the house ready for Christmas guests. I'm sure you can imagine what that's like. While watching for the snow, the little boy imagines what it will be like to play in it, and he manages to create new messes everywhere his mother has just cleaned. So this book is a quiet, funny, cozy book 
It's full of anticipation. You know there's a snow coming. You know there's family coming. You know Papa's coming soon. It's a very snuggly kind of book that you want to read with your kids. All right, number six. Now this one, I think I will wrap up, but hmm, I'll probably have to have it opened maybe the day after Thanksgiving. This is Letters from Father Christmas by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, The reason we would have to open this one pretty soon is because it's a compilation of letters that were written by Father Christmas to a family. Actually, what they were were letters written by J.R.R. Tolkien to his own children. For over a decade, he wrote these very special letters. And they received these little letters in the mail in spidery scrawl with beautiful illustrations as if Father Christmas himself had written them. There is such fun banter between Father Christmas and one of his helpers called Polar Bear as they describe how things are at the North Pole and maybe some of the battles between some of the dark elves and themselves. This book is so great because each letter can be read as a nightly story time. I have not owned this book, actually, until just now, but every year we listen to it in the car, and the audio version is really well done. I just love it so much. Okay, Silent Night by Laura Hawthorne. There are so many iterations of the manger scene, the time of the shepherds, the time of the magi, the time that baby Jesus was born. And so many of them are beautiful and stunning. I could not, I could make a whole show just about manger scene books for Christmas. But this one I picked because I really appreciate the stunning pictures in this one. They are beautiful and minimalist and folksy, but also, and this is the most important part to me, Mary and Joseph and Jesus are depicted with dark complexion. There's this lovely carol that says, Some children see him, the baby Jesus, lily white with tresses soft and fair. Some children see him bronzed and brown with dark and heavy hair. Some children see him almond-eyed, this Savior whom we kneel beside. Some children see him almond-eyed with skin of yellow hue. Some children see him dark as they, and ah, they love him so. This carol was written by Willow Hudson and Alfred S. Burt in 1951. It's one of my favorites, and there's a really beautiful one performed by Sixpence None the Richer in their Christmas album, The Dawn of Grace. I love to listen to that title. It's simple and sweet. And I adore this carol and this book for the same reason that it is so important for children to see the precious Christ child with a face like their own. Historical accuracy aside, Because love has many faces, and the baby Jesus is for us all. Okay, I've on and on about all of these lovely books, and I am running out of time. The Rational Dragon is hosting a Hobbit tea this evening, and I need to clear out so he can prepare for that. So, I'll wrap up by saying that I have a whole slew of Christmas books available for purchase today. Go to my shop by clicking the link in the show notes, bookshop.org slash shop slash jaunty lion. You can see all of the titles that the Jaunty Lion has selected for our Christmas book display and many more besides. Get all your Christmas shopping done in one fell swoop. 
We have beautiful cloth-bound penguin classics for mom and a whole slew of dad books for you-know-who. Just click the link in the show notes to find your next book. Go to bookshop.org slash shop slash jaunty lion. The link will be in the show notes. This wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for dropping into the Jaunty Lion Bookshop. Special thanks to the Bearded Wonder for sound design, to all the Jaunty Lion staff. This is Amy Marquis signing off and saying, go forth, friends. Live today with Carpe Diem, many cups of tea, and the pages of a good book. And as C.S. Lewis would say, you can never get a cup of tea large enough or a book long enough to suit me. 